Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening Colour. Good morning, it's Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. It's where the shapers of business meet the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. I'm very pleased to say that my guest today is John Wilkins, co-founder of Naked, the groundbreaking communications agency and chairman of creative agency Karma Rama. Two amazing names, plus John, of course, in the first few sentences. Pretty good. Starting his media career, he says, by mistake, John was interviewed at Granada TV thinking he'd be researching for World in Action, the current affairs programme but he ended up being the king of audience and media expenditure reports. Research and strategy roles followed at MTV and advertising agency BMP. And in the year 2000, John co-founded Naked, the communications agency, which I used myself many years ago. They sought to disrupt the agency world while hiring, as John put it, brilliant misfits, people that were the best at what they were doing, but that felt constrained by it. 14 years later, when John left the company, Naked had grown into an international group with local and global clients, including Coca-Cola and Unilever, to name but two. John joined agency Karma Rama in 2014 as chairman, with his deep belief that in order to grow, you must embrace creativity. When you get these brilliant ideas, he says, often now powered and accelerated through technology, special things happen. It's really good to see you, especially during these times when we don't get to see as many people as we would in person. Thank you for coming. It's kind of hard to know where to start with you, John, because you've, you achieve a lot in one go as I, as I look at your life. You talked about your beginning in the media world as a sort of a mistake. You bumped into it. Mm. Have you always been a guy that is fluid enough that things bump into you? Is that your MO? I think um, I like adventure and I like um, putting myself out of my comfort zone, I guess. So if, you, if you're more open-minded, then things happen spontaneously. I think if you're very closed and quite focused, generally you don't get that happenstance. So I guess, yeah, a little bit like that. And tell me what you started to love about the media world and then tell me in your own words about why disrupting the industry, why creating Mm. Naked was an important thing for you to do personally. Well, I think I've always been interested in media, communications, art, music, culture, you know, from a very, very early age. I've been drawn towards culture, I guess, generally. And I think, you know, the explosion of kind of media, media channels, content has always been something that's been really interesting for me. And I always wanted a career in it. And I guess the changing the industry or trying to be part of moving things on is also deep in my psyche you know I've I tried to somebody else said to me the other day you know when did you decide your disruption was your thing and I said I think it was when I was like a little punk you know as a kid you know just having a sort of non-conventional outlook on the world being quite contrarian you look at marketplaces and to be honest you look at what's wrong with them and then you kind of go well I could disrupt that and I think that is definitely in my playbook when I look at all the things I've done it's like look at something that's kind of quite big work out what's wrong with there attack the things that's wrong with it with gusto and then try and change it and that and that buzzes you obviously that notion of and so because you know sometimes you meet people who are contrarians and they're contrarians for its own sake whereas there are others who are quite methodical i mean you just described a looking at it taking it apart putting it back together again 
just uh, again for those people that don't know that aren't in the that haven't been in the media world the advertising mm-hmm. world naked in the year 2000 was essentially a new proposition which said we are going to help brands go to market in a different way we that's don't wrong. think the old way works yeah that's right and i mean it was uh, an interesting time really because 2000 you know the internet was opening up so many possibilities just new avenues new ways of building relationships with uh, brands, I guess. And uh, most clients were misinformed as to how to use them. And a lot of my friends in agencies either had a vested interest in not using the new and emerging channels or didn't have the skills to embrace them. So, you know, we, we saw a sort of market niche, which was really about clients being able to create competitive advantage by using just new, more more appropriate ways of engaging with audiences. And it sounds so easy when you say it like that, but it really was as simple as that. I was mentioning before the point about the four naked truths, which I, I did look up. And I mentioned also that I actually was a client. Will, one of your partners, was was my person when I was working with a, an agency called Leo Burnett, which I did for many years, and the client was Scottish Widows. And we did a whole bunch with you many years ago. Everything communicates Naked truth number one. And even if you're not in the world of advertising or comms, if you just think about this for a moment, it's such it's sensible stuff, which is what I like. Everything communicates, number one. People are your partners. Don't patronise them. Talk to them normally, number two. There is a better way, which is to your point, John, about being a contrarian. Why not look at it and go, hold on a minute. And number four, see the full picture. Four eminently sensible things, which I imagine the three of you, the other John um, and Will and you sat down and go, that makes sense. Do you think, they still inform your approach to your life today or the life of uh, of work today? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I think when we wrote them down, um, we were very keen to um, sort of work out what we stood for and also to try and codify it because at the time when we wrote that, we were expanding around the world and we thought it's great having these ideas in your head, but if you don't start writing things down, how do you expect Yeah, New else? York, Australia, they're just going right. to do their own thing. How do thing? you expect anybody else to understand it? So it's part of the codification. But I think those sensibilities are now broadly adopted by the industry. You know, it kind of makes sense. You know, we've moved from a world where companies broadcast their message in a very one way to now, you know, having instant feedback on everything a company does. So, you know, everything communicates, makes sense. And, you know, we live in a connected world where, you know, if you want to engage with a product, they might have beautiful advertising, but if they employ children in another part of the world on the cheap, or if they, you know, every every part of you, the anatomy of a company is interrogated. So I think they do hold true. I just think that at the time they were sort of common sense, but quite Radical, whereas now they're sort of common sense and I, I would say broadly seen and adopted. Well, do you know when it's a good idea when it becomes mainstream? Yeah. When it was weird and, and hokey, yeah. whether it was climate change 40 years ago, which is now obviously real, or, or it's this. In in terms of the journey in Naked and then selling the yeah. business, and obviously Karma has sort of aped that journey as yeah. well. Firstly, what was it like in those first couple of years at Naked? Was it the best time you ever had or actually looking back, was it really tough and you wouldn't want to go back? And then secondly, what was it like actually selling? What happened 
psychologically sure. to, the, to the founders? Yeah, I think the first couple of years, I'm sure you know you have loads of entrepreneurs on this show. You know, it's a roller coaster. Anybody who tells you it isn't is not telling the truth. You know, incredible highs and incredible lows because it's ultimately very personal. You know, you've the company you've created, you co-own, and the pain points are are awful, and the successes are euphoric. You know, I think you know every business has a cycle, and for us uh, at Naked, moving towards a sale was really around global expansion and trying to not do everything off uh, literally our own money. So at the time of sale, you know, you've again you've definitively got mixed emotions having done this twice now. On the one hand, you want to fulfill the ultimate ambition of where you think your company could get to and sometimes that needs extra impetus and extra resources on the other hand you are aware that you are saying goodbye to some of the freedom of being able to maneuver the way you have done when it when it's absolutely yours so mixed mixed emotions stay with me to find out a lot more from my business shape that john wilkins um talking about roller coasters and uh, yeah, have, there have been a few people alluding to the fact it is a bit of a ride. But right now, we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions, and they can be found on all of the major podcast platforms. Mishcon Derez, John Baines, and Adam Rose are going to be talking about data protection, privacy, and how GDPR has played out in the two years since it came into force. The Mishcon Academy digital sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. So to start off, we're now two years on from GDPR coming into force. Would you say that GDPR has been a success? Hi, Adam. What do we mean by success, I think, is the question I would throw back, rhetorically or not. I think it's important to look at where GDPR comes from and what was actually proposed when GDPR was put on the European Statute Book. Let's not forget that that data protection law in in its modern iteration has, has, has been with us since at least 1995, and it looked at in the round. In fact, GDPR was was really just a, a refiguring, a development of those existing laws, let's say, for, for the digital age. So I, th- I think it's important to say that when we talk about has it been a success, I, I think we have to push to one side some of the hype and the overly enthusiastic business creation that went with the the build-up to GDPR. I don't think it was ever intended to change the world, and I certainly don't think it was ever intended to destroy business. But some of the the communications that that we saw in those days before May 2018 gave that indication. I think better to look at is in what ways has behaviour changed as a result of the law change? And and by that I mean behaviours of businesses, of organisations who, who handle data, but also the behaviour of, of us, you and me and, and anyone listening. We're all data subjects. Our rights, our obligations are all triggered by this law. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and hear this very program again by popping Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or if you've got a smart speaker, you know the drill, you can ask it to play Jazz Shapers. It will oblige, and there you will find many of our recent shows. But back to today, and John Wilkins, co-founder of Naked and chairman of the creative agency Karma Rama. Um, 
I mentioned, you, we, I asked the question about the cell, and you mm. said you give up a bit of freedom, but there's obviously room to expand. The people are critical in all of this. When you are building a business like that, um, and you said it feels very personal, how do you ensure you find those people? Because if you're breaking the mold of an industry, but you're looking inside the industry to find the people to break the mold, by definition, it's quite hard to find them, isn't it? Well, yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think you what you need to find is people who are brilliant but frustrated with the status quo. And generally what I've found is um, many of the very high-performing people in every discipline are kind of frustrated, you know, with the often their brains work very horizontally, they're very interested in everything, and, and what's happening is that they're forced into narrow silos. It's certainly true in marketing. So we set up a recruitment strategy deliberately to focus on what we call brilliant misfits, and that was to find sort of flatter people in saying, look, you're at the top of your game, but you're sort of straight-jacketed by the environment you work in, either because it's a discipline like advertising or media planning or, you know, marketing. And what we wanted to try and do was to give people a bigger canvas where they could use their brain expansively and feel a little bit more freeform. So we always said, look, you join naked and it's like diving into a pool without a bottom. You know, it's quite scary. And then suddenly it's very liberating because, you know, you can do anything within that environment, you know. And, and that kind of combination of a sort of misfit methodology meant that we hired people who were our archetype, if you know what I mean. So it's much easier to keep a band of misfits together because you've kind of got a common enemy, which is the status quo. Uh, whereas if we'd have hired complete status quo people, we'd have really, really struggled, I think. Although, I mean, I imagine it is if you're all misfits, then you're all kind of, you know, you're lunatics in the same team, as it were. But managing and being a leader of a business like that, where you've got to accommodate and indeed keep people feeling liberated, but at the same time, you've got clients, you've got a P&L to manage, yeah. you've also got a product to create. Tricky, no? I mean, how did you personally yeah. manage that? I think we we wrote everything down and codified the behaviours of the company. We celebrated the intelligence and the mischievous nature of the company, but we also shared the company methodology with clients. So we tended to attract clients who were also trying to change the game. We had a chart that said uh, we're appropriate probably for one in 10 clients out there and that one in 10 will know when they meet us because they'll know that they, they also want to change the game. And interestingly, I went to Jeremy Dale, who was the CMO of Orange and one of our founding clients and ITV Digital and then went on to a big job at Microsoft. He wrote a book recently, which was called uh, something like The Punk Rock of Business. And he was already in that dangerous 10% as a change agent and we just found that clients like that automatically got the attitude accepted the rough edges loved the honesty loved the sort of slightly rebellious nature and uh, it's a sort of self-selecting prophecy it's also the beauty of being a niche because when you are a challenger brand working with challenging clients trying to break things and make things better you're in a much stronger position than if you're trying to appeal to absolutely everybody thus becoming slightly more vanilla and more catering for the middle if you know what I mean and then going from there where you've created your own world it is your own universe of of naked and the universal truths and the naked yeah. truths and all that now then you move post it uh, around 2014 yeah. to Karmarama yeah working with the founders yeah yeah and that that business had gone through some changes there were some big personalities as I recall yeah people have gone on to maybe be big part of Facebook for yeah. example all that 
how is it being not quite an employee because you're a bit more you're a lot more sure. than that you're management but what's it like when it's not your own shop but you want to create some vibe which feels like your own shop um I've, I've really really enjoyed it it's just a different part of the evolution you know we talked earlier about new challenges and for me you know naked was brilliant it was just incredibly intense you know and incredibly personal and i think moving to karma armor i still wanted to feel a deep sense of belonging and uh help shape and bring expertise but i found it really healthy to have that slight step of removal that i didn't have at naked and you know it was also an incredibly cold Truly strong agency, so I could identify very heavily with their belief system, you know. And you know, I had a few job offers at that time, not being big-headed or anything. But I remember sitting in the reception at Armour and they've got a big sign there that says "What goes around comes around," and they're very values-driven. And I just remember thinking, I can just identify with this. This is easy for me to pick up and play because I believe in everything that they believe in. And you know, it, it, some agencies don't stand for anything. You know, they stand for great creative work, but they probably don't have an ethos necessarily, and thus it's harder for me to bond in that way. So you come in as a chair and you essentially want to do all the great things that you did in Naked, in Karma Arm, obviously on the terms that were appropriate for that business. Um, in 2016, when was the event with Accenture? Was yeah, it- I think it was... Actually, I remember it was on my birthday, November 29th, 2016. So, so my birthday. Yeah. You, there you go, November yeah. 29th, 2016, you took that business from uh, its current state into this future state, which is now where it's at. Sure. A huge beast, Accenture... Um, is an enormous company. Half, how many people have they got? I think it's about half a million people. Half a million people. How many people were at Karmarama at the time? I think there was about 270 of us. So how do you retain identity? How do you retain culture, uh, retain that sense of this is what it's about when you get, I'm going to use this phrase, eaten or or morphed and merged into a much bigger entity? Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, at the time, uh, we were trying to work out, again, where we could scale the ambitions of Karmarama. And uh, Karmarama also shared this sort of slightly um, anti-establishment vibe that I've always believed in. And we wanted to change the industry again. And we'd, we'd seen that consulting technology and creativity were starting to sort of overlap as skills. We were... We'd worked on three accounts, I think, in 2015 very closely with management consultants, and we could see what they were brilliant at, and we could also see where their weaknesses lay, and we could also see this sort of liaison. So to be honest, the the founders and the shareholders at Karmarama, again, we wanted to be at the front of the next generation of change in the industry, which is, again, deep in my DNA, and that felt more appropriate than the classic holding company exit. So, you know, within Accenture, it's a huge company, but it's also uh, got many, many cultures. You know, it's way too big to be a mono culture. So actually, in a funny kind of way, being the first creative agency into Accenture in a company that celebrated diversity and cultural difference at the highest level, it was in some ways kind of easier than going into um, TBWA or somewhere where they had a book written on their philosophy and, you know, you had a global creative director telling you how to do your work. In a way, we kept a lot of our freedom and really the feeling we had at the time and still have is that we're at the beginning of the next reincarnation of the industry. And actually, you you said something that makes me think 
the, you don't think about management consultancy and creativity. So what you've really done is you've, I mean, in, in simple me looking from the outside and gone, well, why don't we put creativity and consultancy together and see what happens, ignoring media. Yeah. And, and actually that's a, you're right, you can kind of pave your own way. Is it also quite fascinating to you that there are all these different subcultures and this big this big train set to sort of look at, maybe play with occasionally, but certainly interact with? Has that been quite nice? Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, learning to understand and respect the strengths of um, consultancy practices and for them learning, you know, where creativity can be a game-changing key. I mean, really, for me, consulting is all about uh, helping businesses to manage growth. And in this age that we're in, new growth comes from new ideas and a new idea could be a new product, a new service, a new brand or whatever. Agencies have always loved to feel that they could be at the forefront of creating new ideas, but had kind of often been pushed down the funnel into, can you do us a new TV ad campaign? So, you know, ultimately playing with new people, working on bigger canvases with bigger problems, with bigger clients has been intellectually really, really interesting. I guess it's where business and brand come together versus being on the periphery. Final chat come up with John, my business shape today. Plus, we'll be playing a track from Jordan Rakai. That's in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. John Wilkins is my business shaper just for a few more minutes. In talking to you, John, it's clear that you um, are full of common sense. You say it how it is. You don't, you don't use big words where you don't need to. You work in an industry which is full of blaggers. I mean, full of people that talk a load of old rubbish sometimes. And now you're in the consultancy world, which actually also having, you know, worked very close with consultants could be accused of the same thing, despite the intellect and despite the underpin. How have you navigated through that, do you think? How have you retained your sense of groundedness and common sense? Uh, That's a good question. I think, I don't know, I I can only really be myself. So... um, I uh, I guess, you know, I was brought up to be kind of inquisitive and to ask questions and try and keep things simple. And um, um, I think that's quite deep in my psyche and I don't really know it any other way. So, you know, that's, that's why I do what I do. I and guess. the special things, though, the things that come out of the back end of the fusion of ideas, having the courage, um, being big-hearted, um, technology, all those things that come together, how do you ensure that that recipe is there each time? How do you make sure that those component yeah. parts are fused perfectly? Yeah, well, I think some of it is very deep in your humanity. You can't teach it, you can't learn it. You either believe that, you know, in karma, which I do, which is treat people the way you expect to be treated yourself most fundamentally. I think being straight with people, being warm-hearted, being open. I think the only thing that you can pass on, which I try to, doing quite a lot of mentoring, is to not be afraid of the new stuff. So we talk about technologies, the new stuff. But I do say to everybody embarking on a career in anything to do with media, you know, throw yourself into the new stuff and don't be scared of it because you're better off playing around early doors with new things and understanding it rather than waiting for it to sort of envelop your life or potentially make you into a dinosaur. So I think being not afraid of the new is something you can attitudinally learn yeah. and it can make a big difference to your career. The other thing that that, that, is, that is clear is your, as you said, your, your 
deep inside. You enjoy culture, whether it's music, yeah. whether it's football or whatever. But on the music side, you are involved with uh, Giles Peterson's business, Worldwide FM. You're also involved with Jez Nelson's. I mentioned both Both have been on the program before, both quite well known in the world of jazz and, and music and presenting. What's it like playing the semi-business person's role for both of those people? I mean, both of those people are business people, but they that's not their craft skill. Sure. They both come from different places. What, what, what sort of differences have you observed of working in those different businesses? I think people who work in the arts and music and, you know, very, very passionate about what they do, more passionate than straight up business people. And passion is a drive and an energy, but it can be uh, at times uh, an inhibitor of potential. So I think having a third party that sort of shares your passion. I mean, we all grew up together. We all went to the same clubs. We all love the same music. I zigzagged very early on when I was at MTV Europe. I contemplated a career in music and I literally remember thinking I love it too much to do it and it will spoil my fun if it becomes my job. So I try and bring the skills I've got but also a deep understanding and appreciation of their passion. If I'd have just been a business guy without the empathy and and love of what they were trying to achieve in their passions, I'd probably have annoyed them. So, you know, just feeling that I can share the direction, I understand enough about their passions, but I can bring a different point of view, I think hopefully helps. Annoyed definitely being a euphemism there in the world of creativity and music, I'm sure. Um, it's been great talking to you, Pleasure. John. Thank you. Really, really nice. Um, and good luck, not that you're going to need it, but enjoy yourself as you take this journey forward with Thank Accenture you. and all the other parts. Just before I let you go, though, you have another song choice, John. You're, we really are spoiling you. What is your song choice and why have you chosen it? Well, I think it's Donny Hathaway. And, uh, um, you know, we're obviously living in difficult times. And I think I've always loved uh, Someday We'll All Be Free. I think the song was written to sort of actually help him through kind of quite a lot of issues he was having with his mentality and health. But actually, it was then reappropriated as a liberation song, really, about from everything from Black Lives Matter through to the civil rights movement in the States. And for me, it's just a, a song that is optimistic. And it just says to everybody, there's a better way, get on with it, and maybe things will turn out all right in the end. That was Donny Hathaway with Someday We'll All Be Free. The song choice of my business shaper today, John Wilkins. He talked about the roller coaster ride of being an entrepreneur, and anyone that is will know that, that is absolutely true. He talked about the importance to him and to the businesses that he has founded and now leads about challenging the status quo and finding people that are happy to do that. Talked about treating people the way you want to be treated, so simple, and yet how many businesses don't do that. And finally, don't be afraid of the new stuff. As we move very fast into the future, it's critical that all of us are open to learning. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazz shapers.